Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC Senior Congressional Correspondent Mary Bruce. Mary Bruce, back <laughs> in the saddle again. Here uh, so we go. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a lot going on. First of all, we're going to have a conversation uh, with Anna Eshoo, who is the Democrat from California, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, Christine Bozzi Ford first brought her allegations to about, uh, about Kavanaugh. But uh, it's been great seeing you running around on the hill chasing <laughs> after Susan Collins and, uh, and, and the like. Uh, this is getting pretty dicey. First of all, can you give us the, the, the very latest? Are we actually going to have a hearing where Dr. Ford appears in person? Well, that's the million-dollar question. Nobody knows. Um, she says she wants some more time. She wants the FBI to investigate before she's going to appear. But right now, the Hill, the state of play is confusion. Because everyone's waiting to see essentially what comes next. Now, look, right now, the hearing as of now is still on for Monday afternoon. Who may be at that hearing? Nobody knows. Um, Will Democrats show up if it is just Kavanaugh? Would Kavanaugh come and testify alone? Is it to just Republicans? To just Republicans? That, you know, the optics of that, that's not really great. Um, Will Ford feel that some demands have, have been met? If her demands aren't met, will she still show up? Will she not? How does this play out politically? I mean, it's a big mess right now. And we did just hear from the chairman of the committee, Chuck Grassley, who said, look, essentially the invitation is still on the table that making clear the hearing hasn't been delayed. They're still working, he says, to try and make Ford more comfortable. Uh, he says, you know, she can speak in public. She can speak in private. She can do interviews. She can do an open hearing. There are many options here. Um, but again, what she does next, no one really knows. And and are Republicans really going to hold the line and say, look, we're going to have a hearing with or without her? Um, I talked to some Republican leaders who said, well, what's the point of that? You know, they want to hear her side of the story. And just to have Kavanaugh come up uh, and, and again, reiterate his denial, is that really something they they want to do. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of conversations happening right now. But but what Monday looks like remains to be seen. I mean, it's it's wild because you, we, we heard from Dr. Ford's attorney on Monday sounding like she was going to come if, if, if she had the opportunity to testify before the committee um, that she would be there. Yeah. I mean, she she wants to talk clearly. Um, the question is just when and how, right? She wants to talk. Republicans are saying we want to hear her side of the story. Democrats certainly want to hear her side of the story. It's just a matter of what other conditions need to be met first. And that's uh, there's a lot of sticking points around that. So the, the president just left uh, the White House to go down to uh, check out the disaster zone in North Carolina, Hurricane Florence and the aftermath. Uh it was interesting. We, we never know, Mary. I, I go out there on the South Lawn. You've been out there on the South Lawn when the president, uh, before he boards Marine One, sometimes he comes over and talks. Sometimes he comes over and takes a few questions. Many times he totally ignores us. This time, I mean, the guy was taking questions left and right. I think I asked about four different topics. But there was one aspect of all of this that I was interested in getting his uh, his take because the president has been – unusually restrained mm-hmm. on this. Very. I mean, if you look at the way he has responded when he has been attacked, facing, mm-hmm. by the way, similar, I mean, not exactly the same, but same category of accusations, fight back, attack the accuser. When Roy Moore got accused, yeah. you know, attack the accusers. He's done this over and over again. In this case, he hasn't attacked Dr. Ford. Um, he has called for her to uh, be able to be heard. But at the same time, there's one question that has been that I've had about all of this regarding the president's views. Take a listen. 
Mr. President, if, if Kavanaugh did what he's accused of doing, would that be disqualifying? I'd really want to see her. I really would want to see what she has to say. But I want to give it all the time they need. They've already given it time. They've delayed a major hearing. There's no more just about, look, when I first decided to run, everybody said the single most important thing you do is a Supreme Court justice, okay? We've all heard that many times about a president. Uh, I would say this. Uh, I think he's an extraordinary man. I think he's a man of great intellect, as I've been telling you, and he has an unblemished record. This is a very tough thing for him and his family. And we want to get it over with. At the same time, we want to give tremendous amounts of time. If she shows up, that would be wonderful. If she doesn't show up, that would be unfortunate. So we didn't exactly answer my question, no. which is, would this be disqualifying? And what's interesting is that we've been up on the hill asking Republicans that exact same question. And there are some Republican senators who say, yes, look, I asked Susan Collins this question. Yes, if the allegations are true, if Kavanaugh uh, has, has lied, essentially, and, and, and this is true. Because it would be believe, two things. It would be the lie yep. and, the, and, and, and the behavior. Yes. Th- then she says it would be disqualifying. And, and remember, you now have this handful of Republican senators that everyone's looking at. You've got Susan Collins of Maine, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, Jeff Flake uh, of Arizona. And the margin is so, so, so small that, remember, Republicans can only afford to lose uh, one vote. If they lose two, it, this is a done deal, right? So everyone is eyeing these few senators so closely. And now the question is, how do they make a determination? If she's not going to come up and speak, if this hearing doesn't happen on Monday, how do you decide and how do you adjudicate something that happened 36 years ago when it's a he said, she said situation? Are the allegations in and of it themselves disqualifying? How do you make this determination? It's part of the reason why uh, there was so much frustration from so many members yesterday when, when Chairman Grassley announced that if they do have this hearing, that they're not going to have witnesses. Because you have to find some kind of way to corroborate this. And there are there is a witness we know of. You know, w- would he be willing to come up and speak? Because how do you get to the bottom of, is, of a situation is, like this? This, this is, is Ma- Mike Mark. Judge, yep. the, the friend of Kavanaugh's who was there, who's put out a statement denying it. Mm-hmm. But he's also made it clear he doesn't want to testify. Exactly. Exactly. So how, what do you do when you might have a hearing that even if uh, uh, Professor Ford does come to speak, it, it is just a he said, she said. What, what, what criteria do you look at? How do you decide if this is disqualifying? So while the president may not want to answer that question, certainly Republicans who are weighing how they would vote on this nomination are not just considering uh, that question, but some are already answering it. So there's been a lot of talk about Anita Hill in 1991 mm-hmm. and uh, those allegations which, by the way, the FBI did do uh, did do a scrub yep. on before she testified. Uh, but with Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas was confirmed anyway. Mm-hmm. But the optics of all those men um, grilling Anita Hill on this subject were terrible, particularly terrible to Republicans. Now, all the Democrats were men on that committee as well. Uh, but the Republicans were the ones that were challenging her on, on these allegations. And... Clarence Thomas won, Republicans prevailed, he was confirmed, but in 1992, we had the year of the mm-hmm. woman, and we had a whole slew of uh, Democrats, Democratic women, many of them, uh, winning in, in, in those uh, congressional elections, particularly the Senate races. And Republicans that I've talked to on the committee are keenly aware of the optics here. I mean, I was speaking with Jeff Flake yesterday, and he made very clear that they know that this could not look well for them. Take a listen. Obviously, the optics of 11 
you know, men there on the Republican side. It is what it is. That that's the committee right now, and so we'll just have to do our best. Hey, and he's I- essentially shrug, you know, he's shrugging, saying, "What are we going to do about this?" And, and they know that this all is happening, of course, under the cloud of the midterm elections. Look, that th- th- the longer this story comes out there, uh, hangs out there, what, what Democrats are hoping is that the longer you can sort of have this news cycle out there, these questions percolating, you're, you're linking the president's Supreme Court nominee in this Me Too environment, that that will drive more women to vote, um, that it will drive women to the to the polls, that it will you know have a real impact on the midterms, not just you know a real impact on, on who could could be the next Supreme Court justice. Can I ask you a question unrelated? Uh, I guess related, but. Sure. Kind of. So there are there are eleven Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Correct. All of them are men. All of them are men. Interesting. Yeah. And how many That's, years? Has it how been? many years after? <laughs> and what's, what's, what's actually even more I mean, interesting is that three uh, of the current members of the committee were there on the committee questioning Anita Hill. Where's Hal Heflin these days and, when you need him? And one of them, or Orrin Hatch, has already said that, that he's essentially siding with Kavanaugh. He says he believes Kavanaugh's denial. He says that, that he believes that, that, that Professor Ford is mistaken in, in, in his language. So you already have uh, sort of some people saying, look, you're, you know, if you're headed towards this hearing, you've got some members of the committee that have already made up their minds. So uh, I want to get to our interview with Anna Eshoo, but before we do, one other thing, Mary, and, and we're, we are we are thrilled to have you back, um, you. particularly at, on Powerhouse Politics, I mean, ABC News generally. You know, you had, you had a little time off. I mean, you know, it's okay. I mean, it's good. We're, we're, we're very psyched to have you back. Um, but um, before you uh, you went on leave, uh, we had an issue where the president was complaining about his attorney general. I've heard some of these complaints before. Yes, yes. Every once in a while, he likes to make these Apparently, complaints. Apparently, it's still going on. We we had um, an interview that the president did with The Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came down to the other side of Pennsylvania Avenue and, and talked to him. And I thought it was interesting. He said um, to, to The Hill, uh, I don't have an attorney general. It's very sad. It's that would be sad. sad. That would be sad. But he does have an attorney general. He, he does. just doesn't like him very much. He does. Uh, and what I think is interesting, because then, of course, he spoke, the president, again, about Jeff Sessions earlier today out on... Actually, I asked him yeah, what he... Yeah, you, you got... Yeah. I asked him... Well, I, we'll take a listen. I'm disappointed in the attorney general for numerous reasons, but we have an attorney general. I'm disappointed in the attorney general... For many reasons, and you understand that. So, so what I was asking him was, what did you mean by you didn't have an attorney general? And I got the president to acknowledge that he, in fact, does have an attorney general. <laughs> yes. um, but, but what was interesting in this interview is he's not simply complaining about the, uh, the recusal, which is the original sin uh, as far as the president's concerned. He's not simply complaining about the lack of prosecution of all these uh, you know, Hillary Clinton's crimes, uh, which he complains about quite frequently. He was complaining about the attorney general in terms of how he's handled immigration. Mm-hmm. As you know, there is not – it's hard to find a harder line guy than Jeff Sessions on immigration. Um, and he went through this whole thing in the interview saying that he was a bumbling, confused, you know, idiot basically uh, in his confirmation hearings. What, what I find striking is, you know, when I left to go on maternity leave, most of the complaints about Jeff Sessions were, were based, you know, more narrowly on, on the recusal, right? Right. Yeah. That's been his big gripe. Now, of course, it's broadening, right? Now he's looking for everything that he says Jeff Sessions isn't doing in, doing right in his point of view. And what is remarkable, as you point out, I mean, the irony here, if you look at it, really, Sessions has implemented some of the most aggressive 
controversial, many would say, steps to crack down on illegal immigration. Yeah. But that's not enough for the president. He's going back and harping on him for, for how he acted during his confirmation hearings uh, last year. What did he say? He was mixed up and confused during his confirmation hearings. I mean, he's just he's looking for, for every which way he can to, to, to knock on Jeff Sessions. And I feel, you know, you can't say it enough, but, you know, the main his initial criticism of the recusal. Well, Jeff Sessions, you know, didn't really have a choice to recuse himself, given his role in the in the campaign. He was pretty much told, I believe he had to recuse himself um, because of the way that these things are handled at the Department of Justice. It was it was an entirely uncontroversial decision with virtually everybody in Correct. the universe, except for uh, except for Donald Trump. Uh, there's no way he's still the attorney general next year. I would think not. Uh, he probably is not the attorney general the two days after the election. Am I right? Or I would. Well, since the president essentially doesn't consider him to be his attorney general right now. now, Although he did, as we heard, he did acknowledge that he does have one. Uh, But yeah, it's um, rough. uh, Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. Okay, let's get to this interview with Anna Eshoo. One one important point is we we conducted this interview. And again, Anna Eshoo is is, is really a really a pivotal player in all this because she was the first person to hear, first person in Congress to hear these complaints, this allegation from uh, Dr. Ford. Um, And she actually spent a fair amount of time with Mm -hmm. Dr. Ford uh, back in July, very early on. And she was the one that encouraged Dr. Ford to also reach out to Dianne Feinstein. Um, So I probed all this. But the important thing is we did this interview before Dr. Ford's letter last night uh, or statement through her lawyer mm-hmm. that she would not be testifying before an FBI background check. And it's very interesting to hear her on that question because she was clearly expecting that uh, her constituent, uh, Christine Blasey Ford, was going to be testifying. Anyway, here is the interview. All right, joining us now is Congresswoman Anna Eshoo. Congresswoman, thank you for taking time to talk to us. Thank you. Now, you uh, were the person that was first approached by Christine Blasey Ford, and Dr. Ford wrote, wrote you a letter, correct, uh, outlining these, uh, you know, her allegations against Brett Kavanaugh. Can, can you just... No, she she did not write a letter to me. She called my contact at my district office in Palo Alto, uh, and um, uh, we followed up on her call and set up an appointment for her to come in and meet with me uh, when I returned from Washington, D.C. And I did meet with her. I met with her for an extended period of time. Um, I'd say at least uh, an hour and a half. Um, I'd never met uh, Dr. Ford before. It was the first time. And uh, uh, the first thing I expressed to her was uh, uh, privacy. Uh, that all of our casework and any meetings that I have are covered by uh, by privacy. I think that's important for my constituents to know, and I certainly uh, shared that uh, uh, with her. So, so this call came through just a line that any of your constituents can call with a question or an issue or a concern? Oh, yes. Uh, actually, her call came in uh, during uh, the... Fourth of July break, so uh, we returned the call uh, when the office uh, uh, reopened after that holiday, and uh, uh, she did come in and uh, and meet with my chief of staff, and and uh, and then, uh, as I said, uh, an appointment was set up for 
I believe it, it was later that week because I returned from Washington, uh, I think, on a Thursday that week, and I met with her uh, the very next day. So you spent how long with her? I spent uh, at least an hour and a half with her. Um, first of all, she, you know, she introduced herself. Uh, she told me why uh, she chose to come to my office. Uh, as I said previously, I reminded her that it was a safe place and that uh, privacy would certainly be uh, be honored. Uh, I think that was a source of comfort to her, given the uh, delicacy of uh, of her story. And uh, so I, you know, she told me her story. I asked her several questions, uh, not like a lawyer interviewing a witness. I'm not a lawyer. I'm her representative. And um, uh, I, I thought that it was important to uh, have her know that I was not there to tell her what I thought she should do. Uh, rather, uh, she tell me uh, uh, what she wished me to do uh, with her story. I thought that that was uh, very important. Uh, she struck me as a, um, uh, first of all, she's soft-spoken. Uh, she's very intelligent. Uh, she's a mother of uh, two young sons, uh, married to an engineer, uh, obviously a constituent, uh, lives in Palo Alto. And uh, so uh, it was a um, it was a long meeting. I thought that it was uh, I understood uh, uh, all the various parts of her story. What what I wasn't sure of. I asked her questions. She was uh, absolutely forthcoming. And um, but it was very obvious to me that she was um, scarred by her experience, uh, which is the case uh, with uh, with anyone that has uh, been subjected to and experienced any kind of uh, uh, sexual assault or abuse. And uh, it was um, it was painful for her to. Uh, to tell the story and uh you know i did everything i could to make her comfortable and um and sh- and she was forth and she was forthcoming uh she did decide um uh that um she wanted me to um to move the information uh forward and uh i subsequently shared with her uh, that uh, uh, that a letter should be written to uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein. Um, she represents her as well. She's our mutual constituent. Uh, uh, Dr. Bl- um, Ford is our mutual constituent, uh, but very importantly because the Senator Feinstein uh, is the ranking member of the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee. So she did write a letter uh she gave it uh, uh, to us, and uh, the same day that she uh, uh, gave us the letter, uh, we hand-delivered it to Senator Feinstein's office, to the appropriate person there. So I, I want to ask you about how Senator Feinstein has handled this, because she's come under quite a bit of criticism, including, obviously, from, mm-hmm. from the president. But before I get to that, you you spent an hour and a half... Um, with Dr. Ford, your chief of staff, uh, spent time with her. 
Can you give me a sense or give give our listeners a sense of what kind of a witness do you think that she will be? What what is this if this hearing comes to pass and she has mm-hmm. uh, she has this opportunity to 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 tell her story? What what how is she going to come across? Well, uh, let me add something to the meeting that we had. At the end of it, I said to her, I believe you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, moving forward, uh, I think that there will be a, a, a stark contrast between, uh, as I understand, uh, that there will be two witnesses, uh, Judge Kavanaugh and, uh, and my constituent, Dr. Ford. Um, Judge Kavanaugh is accustomed to uh, testifying. He's uh, accustomed to speaking in public, um, and I think very comfortable doing that. Uh, my constituent is um, is not a creature of Washington D.C. Uh, she, uh, you know, uh, I don't know the world of engineering, and she certainly doesn't know the world of politics. Uh, that that's not who she is. So I think that. Uh, you know, her soft-spoken nature, but the power of her story um, uh, and her honesty and her intelligence will certainly be on display. And, uh, and that, you know, she, she really is your next-door neighbor, the professor that lives next door. You know, she's uh, involved in her, in her children's lives from, you know, all their sports undertakings in that. And uh, uh, there, there will be, uh, in my view, there'll be uh, the American people will see a real contrast between the two, given uh, where they come from. And, and you believe that she will be seen as credible, that, that the people that watch this uh, will, will come away believing her the way you believed her? I do. And have you heard this? Uh, there's been a suggestion um that it, it, it's come from those who have uh, spoken to Judge Kavanaugh, Republicans, uh, that perhaps this was a case of mistaken identity, that he has absolutely no recollection of being at a party, anything like this. And maybe, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, you, you talk to her in detail about mm-hmm. about what happened. Mm-hmm. Is there any chance that that mm-hmm. is a possibility, that well, this could have I, been somebody else? To, uh, yes, uh, it's a good question. Uh, I've spoken to colleagues, uh, that uh, before they came uh, to Congress uh, to serve in the House uh, were prosecutors and handled uh, sexual, um, uh, uh, you know, sexual uh, violation cases. Uh, and they said that the, um, uh, that that seed is always planted by the opposition. Are you sure you can, I actually, do you really remember who this person was? Couldn't it have been someone else? Uh, couldn't you be confused? And uh, it, it was fascinating to me to hear about their trial experiences and that, um, uh, that the opposing counsel uh, would always raise this uh, with such cases. Uh, so it's being raised all over again. I, I suppose people can say uh, whatever they want and, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, and raise what questions they want. But uh, uh, I don't uh, I didn't come to uh, my decision and saying to her, uh, I believe you. 
without spending time uh, listening very carefully, uh, asking what I thought were uh, were good questions. And um, uh, she is, uh, I believe, a very honest person. And what was so apparent to me uh, was how this the effect that this had had uh, on her uh, in her uh, in her adult life. Uh, that's why I think she is courage. Uh, she's demonstrated an enormous amount of courage uh, to come forward to tell her full story to the American people. Uh, she certainly weighed her privacy and the consequences to herself and her family, uh, and she's demonstrated her willingness to risk these factors uh, to present uh, uh, the truth. Uh, uh, this is a terrifying uh, experience to move from living in the neighborhood, uh, uh, going to work every day. She has a, uh, a career. She's a Ph.D., um, uh, carrying on her day-to-day life, and then suddenly to burst onto the national scene. And I think that she had a strong sense of, um, uh, of what that meant to move from private uh, to public. Uh, and she chose to speak out, uh, as she said, uh, to she views it as a uh, as a civic responsibility. And this is while she carries uh, uh, in her lifetime uh, that experience. This is also a lifetime appointment uh, to the most consequential decision, one of the most consequential decisions in our country, uh, an appointment to the highest court in the land. And, and given that, um, do you, do you and, I, and I know Senator Feinstein has been a colleague of yours for, for a long time, um, but in hindsight, should she, have, should she have acted earlier? Obviously, she can't go public with Dr. Ford's name uh, mm-hmm. if Dr. Ford is unwilling to let that happen. But, mm-hmm. I mean, she could have told her in private, she could have told her colleagues on the Judiciary Committee. Uh, she could have perhaps um, come public with, with a, in, in a general sense that there was a concern mm-hmm. uh, by somebody who did not want her name to be to be made public. Mm-hmm. I mean, l- looking back at this, um, do you think that uh, Senator Feinstein should have acted differently? Well, what what I can say about Senator Feinstein, and I've known her for many many years. Uh, Prior to my service in the uh, uh, in Congress, when she was mayor of the city and county of San Francisco, and I was on the board of supervisors in the uh, adjoining county, um, uh, she's not a a partisan person. A B, she is diligent. Uh, C, she is serious minded. I don't know. I can't pretend to know what the inner workings of the Senate are. I frankly I've never figured them out, but um, a lot uh, of us haven't, by the way. You know, I mean, you're, you're not alone there. <laughs> yeah. So um, once um, I thought I had done my due diligence uh, and kept my word to my constituent to do what she uh, thought uh, uh, was the appropriate path, uh, and again privacy because uh, of victims of sexual assault, uh, privacy is everything. Uh, uh, I, I thought that I had done 
what was appropriate, and uh, and then it went to Senator Feinstein. So um, uh, that's the way I view it. So I I, I know we've, I've already taken up um, uh, too much of your time, but I just just coming back to this notion of if, if, if this hearing goes forward. And by the way, you you expect this hearing will happen because we as 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 of this moment. The Judiciary Committee has not been given an answer about whether or not Dr. Ford is going to testify publicly. Do you you, you expect she will? Well, I, I expect that she will because her attorney uh, said very clearly uh, that she would. So I, I expect her to be a witness. Okay. But I and, also think that Mark Judge should be a witness as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This was the, the very the, important. This was the third person. Witness. You're right. Right. This was the yes. friend of Kavanaugh's yes. who. Yes. Who, who um, who was allegedly there and, and and part of this this of this assault, uh, this yes. alleged assault, um, and then uh-huh. and then just the last thing is you you've described Dr. Ford as somebody who comes across as very credible. You believe what she has said. You believe others will believe what she has said. You've also watched Kavanaugh. We haven't seen him publicly respond to this. We've seen his statements that he's that, that have been put out in his name, but to believe. Dr. Ford means, does it not, that by definition, Brett Kavanaugh is lying about this? Well, I'm not the one that's going to make the decision. I'm not a member of that committee. Uh, But I think there are a couple of things that are really very important in this. Ninety-three percent of sexual assault cases are found, the, the, the person that reports it, they are found to be credible. Mm-hmm. And so I believe that my constituent uh, should be received in that hearing room with the utmost respect, number one, and with a presumption of honesty. Those mm-hmm. are stunning figures, 93%. 93%. So... Um, uh, I I would just place that on the table, and I think it's worth thinking about. Uh, this should not be a rush to judgment. There should time should be taken so that justice is done, and the American people uh, deserve to hear her full story, uh, and not a um, you know a, 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 a monkey court uh, where. Someone is, uh, walks in, um, uh, chooses to be there uh, under enormous pressures, uh, but chooses to be there uh, to tell, uh, to speak about her experience. Uh, I know it's not a court of law, uh, but when the Congress undertakes anything, uh, we know that there is a court of public opinion as well. And uh, these cases for far too long, for far too long, have been discounted. Uh, the victim has been victimized. Um, how can someone remember? D- did you dream this? Uh, that's not what this is. And I think the, the weight of a, of a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court, um, well, that just speaks for itself. Lifetime appointment lifetime damage to an individual. Congresswoman Anna Eshoo of California, thank you very much for taking time to talk to us. 
Thank you. That is all we have time for. Thank you for listening to Powerhouse Politics. Uh, special thanks to Mary Bruce for joining us on this podcast and for our stellar team, Trevor Hastings, uh, one of the smartest, most intelligent, most aggressive, uh, one of the most impressive people in all of podcast history. Uh, also, uh, Avery Miller, uh, our, our uh, senior uh, executive producer, uh, and Angie Yak, who also has a very lofty title as well to our entire uh, Powerhouse Politics team. We will be back. Be back soon. And maybe Recline will decide to join us. <laughs>